What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. kind of guys that in a lot of ways I loved working with guys like him he was a guy that when he threw you in the ropes he really threw you in the ropes like it was a guy it was a lot of power behind him throwing you if he body slammed you he was a lot of power everything he did was power and at the same time he was a very safe guy and he was a good he was a good wrestler good worker and uh, this is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the return of Spartacon Spartacon 2 is Saturday, August 13th, and Sunday, August 14th at the Blue Crab Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland. It's the only dedicated Spartacus fan convention in the United States, complete with live-action gladiator battles inside the arena, exclusive celebrity meet-and-greets with the stars of Spartacus, and so many more unique events. Head on over to RedSerpents.com for more information on this amazing, one-of-a-kind event, and please stay tuned a little bit later on in the show to find out more of how you can be a part of the return of Spartacon. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today we complete yet another tag team in the library of the two-man power trip of wrestling as we complete the amazing French Canadians, the Quebecers, as Quebecer Pierre Carl Oulet joins the program in what can only be described to you, the listeners, as the longest interview in the history of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And we've been criticized for it before, but we love to call these the epics because when they cross that hour and 30-minute threshold, 
Hey, that's where we like to say, yeah, it's an epic because we've now covered the entire career of somebody. Well, in the case of Pierre, we took that and we went to the extreme as this is a strap in for it, two hour and 30 minute interview with Pierre covering his whole entire career, his retirement, his return to wrestling, the training of the wrestlers that are now in the WWE. And we'll get to them in just a minute. The stories along the way. There's so much to cover. If you know who Pierre Carouillet is, you know PCO. He's one of the most respected guys to come out of Canada. He's definitely an innovator when it comes to size and the things that you can do in the ring. But, John, just running through the gamut of all the things that we talked about, what would you say some of the highlights are looking at it? And if we can describe it, if you had a name for it, what would you call an episode of this caliber? Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling and Ooh, do we have a gigantic, enormous, big-time, epic episode today. And boy, you know, when we say epic in the epic series, you can think back to a lot of the great longer episodes that we've had. Most recently, Colonel Rob Parker, not too long ago, Jerry Lynn, Al Snow. <clears throat> so there's a couple guys that have really have had just some epically long episodes and obviously we jokingly call it the epic series when these guys come on for an extended period of time and we're able to get even more in depth with some of their answers and an even more in-depth interview but this is perhaps the epic of all epics this is the longest episode ever in the history of the two-man power trip of wrestling and it all has to do with the three-time former WWF tag team champion Carl Ouellette aka Pierre and wow, is he a great storyteller or what? It just, yeah, like I said, an epic of all epics. Great, great stuff. Woo, it was an awesome episode. I mean, so many topics were discussed. We talk about WWF. We talk about Vince. We talk about WCW. We talk about Bischoff. We talk about all the great tag teams that we that they wrestled. We talked about a great deal about Jacques Rougeau and what he meant to him. And, you know, basically where they met, the, the Quebecer team, the amazing French Canadians, anything and everything that has to do with that team, we talk about it, and it's awesome we delve into it. we got a couple of good Steiner Brothers stories in there. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I just love that we were able to get this amount of time out of him, and it was such a joy and such a pleasure. And not only do we talk about some of the, you know, who they're wrestling and some of the, the in front of the stage stuff, but we do go behind the scenes as well. We get a, a really, really great click story, possibly the most in-depth story we've ever heard on this show. Uh, perhaps tied with some of the awesome Buff Bagwell stories, but his story about Shawn Michaels and the eye patch and Diesel and him not doing the job up in Canada. It's one of the greatest stories ever in the history of the show, and it's just one of the most awesome backstage stories that you're ever going to hear. So, boy, is this the epic of all epics, and I guarantee you, without a shot of a doubt, 110%, you will absolutely love this episode. So please enjoy nothing but a lengthy, lengthy chat with Pierre. Oh, yeah. And, John, of course, you're referring to the amazing story told on this show by Shane Douglas about an incident in Montreal, which kind of just touched on a little bit. But go back and listen to the episode we had with Shane Douglas earlier this year. And he goes into about as much detail as a human being could witnessing what Pierre talks about happened between him and the clique up in Montreal, 
it was a very interesting story to say the least because Shane Douglas's perspective as the viewer of this is just absolutely it's funny you know just from kind of the side comments he makes but fascinating to see the stranglehold that the click had on the WWE at that point in 1995 and especially with Carl Lake saying in Montreal you know he needed to be protected so they could come back it's just an interesting take that we get from Carl and it's an interesting take that we get from Shane Douglas but also check it out it's been told in detail on a kayfabe commentaries I believe I don't know if it was the you shoot or timeline with Shane Douglas uh, where he also gives it on video which is a shout out to our friends over at kayfabe commentaries and we'll be seeing them in the very near future but, John, yeah, definitely I mentioned it at the top, and that is also we talk about the training that Carl Lay has done with some of the guys that are headliners in the WWE right now, most particularly Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. We get great stories about them getting their start and how they basically uh, they learn everything that they learned at the start of their career from Pierre Carl Lay, and he really has a lot of great things to say about both. Sami Zayn, and more specifically Kevin Owens, who you can just see even in Kevin Owens, his his size, his build, and some of the things that he does, the Pierre Carouillet touch is reigning supreme there in the prize fighter, Kevin Owens. And uh, it's very nice to hear the uh, the comments said because he really is very uh, he's very proud of these guys, and especially Owens um, and the ascension that he has had. And when we were recording the interview, I mean, he was just it was before Money in the Bank, it was before all the stuff that's kind of unfolded now on television. But really, at that point, you kind of had Kevin Owens, you know, kind of targeted as being this breakout star going into the summer. It's maybe not happening right now, but you know, hey, down the road, you never never know. But, John, with all that being said, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the return of Spartacon, and that's Spartacon 2, the biggest and most exciting Rebels convention ever, on Saturday, August 13th, and Sunday, August 14th, in Waldorf, Maryland, complete with cosplayers, artists, exhibits, celebrity guests, stuntmen and stunt coordinators, CrossFit trainers, and Legion instructors, You never know what you're going to find at the one and only Spartacus fan convention based in the United States. It's Spartacon 2, August 13th and 14th in Waldorf, Maryland at the Blue Crab Stadium. Head on over to RedSerpents.com for not only the full list of the celebrity guests in attendance, but also how you can take advantage of some amazing hotel deals for those coming from out of town. And again, it's redserpents.com for more information and more to come in the coming weeks from our friends over at Spartacon and maybe even a chance for you to attend Spartacon in Waldorf, Maryland. And with all of that being said, I know I say that a lot, but we want to thank you for listening. And John's going to hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business in a minute. But please head on over to our Facebook page. Give that bad boy a like. Reach out and touch us if you want to get a hold of us. Definitely look forward to hearing from you. We've been getting some really cool comments from a lot of people lately, and we want to keep the good vibes rolling, and we want to keep all the positive momentum of the two-man power trip of wrestling headed in the upwards direction. So with all that being said, enjoy Pierre Carroulet and John. Hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to PCO. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please head over to our YouTube page and subscribe to us over there. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out the feed for the latest and greatest episodes from the Two Man Power Trip, including episodes with the late American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. 
the total package, Lex Luger, Jesse the Body Ventura, the phenomenal AJ Styles, WWE's lead attorney, Jerry McDivitt, Stan the Lariat Hanson, Hall of Famer Coco Beware, the legendary Magnum TA, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Also, you can check us out on Google Play, the i95 Sports Network, and Player FM. Please also check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And don't forget, we are now contributors on Wrestling Inc. Yes, please go to wrestlinginc.com and look for the two-man power trip of wrestling. We will be all over that site. And it's one of the best wrestling sites out there, so you're going to enjoy that. And also, please go to prowrestlingtees.com for not only our page, but also please check out Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Paul Orndorff, and coming soon, Tito Santana. So please head over to ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado, a former WCW Hardcore Champion and a former three-time WWF Tag Team Champion, you may know him as Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Or a former member of the Quebecers with Jacques Rougeau. But we know him as Pierre, a.k.a. Carl Ouellette. Please enjoy. We're not the Mounties. We're handsome, we're brave, we're strong. We're not the Mounties. Cause we enforce the law. You can try to run. is a huge fan of. We've been looking for him for a long time, and finally we are graced by a three-time WWF Tag Team Champion, a former WCW Hardcore Champion. You might know him as PCO, but to us, he is Pierre Carl Ouellet. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. All right, that sounds good. I like it. All right, so that's good. So I, I, we passed the test for uh, for the intro, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. But the, I mean, what, what my name is—it's hard to pronounce in English, I guess. But it's Willet. So whatever. Well, very Willet, nice. Well, You know, that's like a double. Well, that's I gotta say. That's the main thing with uh, you know the translation. That's you know I, I was. Uh, when I put these things together, it's one thing I, I don't want to be uh, you know too offensive. So if I was in the neighborhood, I'm I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's all right. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's always a tough name to pronounce in English. Well, regardless, we're happy to have you on today. And I think the first thing we want to ask is, uh, what have you been up to in the last uh, couple of years? Are you still involved with the business? Are you uh, since we're down in the states and you're up in Canada. Are we still uh, yeah. are we still missing uh, Pierre on the uh, the independent scene, or what have you been up to? No, I, I guess uh, 2010 uh, was my last tour in Egypt, and uh, I went to the pyramids. Uh, uh, we did some shows there on uh, some uh, some uh, nice uh, resorts and. Um, uh, I took some time off because uh, in 2008, I had uh, my daughter, London. Uh, obviously, I was in England when uh, my girlfriend got pregnant. 
and uh, that's why we named her London. And uh, just uh, taking care of her, she's uh, only seven years old, so uh, didn't want to be away from the home that much, and uh, just wanted to take some time off a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's that it's that cool thing, you know, when you're out in the other country, you know, we always wonder where uh, where some of the guys going. Obviously, like I said, you know, John and I have been huge fans of yours, so we uh, it's good to know that you're uh, you know, that we can get you on tonight and kind of fill in some gaps and uh, you know, kind of talking about current day wrestling. You know, are you still are you keeping track of what's going on in the business now and how it's uh, kind of changing as we uh, move forward here in 2016. Yeah, I kind of watch the, the, the transition and how uh, uh, it evolves a, a little bit. You know, I'm watching uh, mostly Raw uh, because uh, I didn't get the WWE Network. Uh, I don't have my membership. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't buy to to run the network. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm following like. Uh, here and there, you know, uh, some Monday night, uh, I, I I do uh, sometimes uh, get up at uh, at seven night and watch a little bit of Raw, or sometimes uh, it's nine o'clock, or sometimes I get the replay, and uh, just uh, you know check the news a little bit on the on the either Facebook or different websites and get some news here and there, and uh, still in touch with the, some of the boys. Uh, but uh, very, very lightly, you know. I'm not deep, deep, deep down into uh, wrestling that much anymore. It's a, uh, that seems to be a common theme, especially with uh, you know with some of uh, the guys from past uh, past years. That it's just it's uh, it's hard to keep up with sometimes. But at least you seem a little bit more in tune with it than uh, than others we speak with. And obviously, as we're recording this, it's Monday night. Monday night Raw is on. Is there anybody on a Monday Night Raw roster that you, uh, you either go out of your way to watch or have uh, somewhat of an interest in uh, from prior experiences? Well, I mean, from from me, from uh, I've been working with uh, some of those guys, uh, Kevin Owens and uh, Sami uh, Zayn. Uh, obviously, it was El Generico back then and uh, Rami, uh, or Rami is real name. Uh, but I don't have his family name, the whole thing. But uh, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens, uh, I mean, I, I, they kind of grew with me or I kind of, you know, uh, yeah, I guess like when Kevin and when we first met, Kevin was 14. Uh, and then when he was older, we had uh, some tremendous match uh, together with, uh, with, with uh, and you can see it on YouTube too, uh, we had a three-way, me, Rami, and uh, and Kev, uh, super match, and I, I wasn't really surprised when, uh, when I heard that they, they made it there, not because of uh, just of their talent, but uh, like uh, Zane is, is probably like he's very very enthusiastic about. I ne- I've never seen anybody like so enthusiastic about the business. I mean. Like nothing really seems to bother him. Like uh, for me, for an instance, if I go on the road for more than a month or two, you know, I just kind of start to feel homesick or miss my family a little bit. I mean, this guy seems to be happy everywhere he goes, and he doesn't seems to uh, doesn't seems like he's missing something or anything. It seems like wrestling is all his life, and uh, all he cares about is wrestling. Um, 
and and Kevin, I mean, he's been having some posters in his room since he was a really really young, and he always wanted to make to make it into the business. So uh, I guess I'm not surprised. And uh, they put a lot of sacrifices into it, and traveled a lot, and uh, had a uh, a lot of uh, uh, bad luck uh, to their career, and uh, they kept going through. I guess that's the story of real champions. You know, uh, nothing really goes well for uh, for the whole career. You you got uh, some deep down moments sometimes where you question yourself and you keep keep pushing yourself, and that, that's why I'm happy that they made it and and they're doing so well because uh, they're really a true example of. Uh, of what it is to uh, to persevere and uh, to be uh, you know to to uh, to keep a goal in your mind and uh, and not to uh, follow it with your eyes and just to stay focused on it. Yeah, and you know what's cool about the two of them is that they've literally carried their feud you know through every promotion that they've ever been in together and you know maybe culminating maybe not culminating it looks like uh could be going on a little bit further but having a match last night on a wwe pay-per-view a singles match so that means literally through nxt up through the wwe main roster they've kept their story going but obviously you said you've seen it since the start but i wanted to stick with owens first because it seems like he's got that uh that main roster rub i mean he beat john cena in his first appearance on Monday Night Raw or, or on the WWE main roster. But what is it about Kevin Owens that makes him so different? Is it his look or is it his passion? But what is it that really makes him stand out, do you think, to the fans? Uh, he's really confident. He's really cocky uh, in his own mind. I mean, not, not in a way that he wants to be cocky with people, but uh, I just think uh, he's uh, he knows what he's worth. You know, he knows what he can bring to the table and uh, – He's really um, uh, he's really confident in himself, and and that's one thing that he always had, and and uh, he carried with him uh, no no matter where he went. You know, uh, when I said that he had problems before an uh, ROH with uh, um, uh, Jim Cornette, you know, had him fired for a year, and you know he could have backed it up and just said, uh, you know, I'm not, you know. I'm not good enough or whatever because Jim Cornette is like an instant in the business and supposed to know a lot of things and uh, a lot of people look up to him and uh, for Kevin not to uh, pay attention to that and uh, carry through and keep believing in himself, you know, I think it tells a lot to uh, his, you know, his character, you know, I mean, not, not the character of uh, uh, in the ring, but uh his mind, you know, strength, strength of mind, you know. That's I think that's the main thing about about Kevin, and also uh, he's got a good psychology. He's very good to. Uh, he's got a good psychology into the business, you know. He's good at thinking of uh, angles. He's good at selling angles to the promoters. Um, I think he he worked his way up there. With, you know, he doesn't have the body. Uh, He's, you know, he's, he's uh, an average guy, like we can say, and, but he, he makes it to uh, to the top. So, uh, um, the like you said, the passion too. Always had that passion. Always had that dream to uh, to become uh, one of the greatest, and uh, he always kept that in his heart. And um, one thing that was cool too about himself is. Uh, his hero or 
his idol was Owen Hart. He always loved o- o- uh, Owen, and he hated Brett. He thought Brett was a shitty wor- worker. Uh, on my think, uh, I think that Brett was the better of the two, as far as psychology, as far as working. Uh, I knew both of them, and I think uh, Owen was good, but I don't think he was as good as Brett. But uh, just to say that uh, opinions are different for for different peoples, and uh, and Kevin uh, always liked uh, Owen better, and it was like his his uh, childhood hero, and the fact that he's named Kevin Owens is not a coincidence. So I really like that about uh, his character now about Kevin Owens, the fact that they put. Uh, Uh, actually, his first kid was named uh, Owen Steen because of Owen Art, and now he carried the name Kevin Owens. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is really cool when you're uh, when you can carry that childhood hero through uh, you know your professional career. That's really uh, that's really something else, and it's a testament to him and his uh, you know his persistence with, like you said, with uh, getting in the uh, the promoter, the booker's ear, and uh, really. Feeling, uh, feeling out how much he can really push what he wants. But let's just switch to the other side of the coin and just talk about Sami Zayn, a.k.a. El Generico, uh, quickly. Now, he's a guy who's had some injury problems since he's been in the WWE, but obviously all it did was just kind of curtail you know, his, uh, his fast track to the top. But out of the two of them, Sami, obviously the, uh, the reaction he gets is, uh, is pretty impressive. But what are some of your memories of uh, a young Sami Zayn? You said his passion was... Uh, Another thing, and that he's full of life. But uh, what are some other things that really stood out to you about Generico? Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to my mind about him is uh, how hard it is for how hard he is for his body, as far as doing like some crazy stuff, you know, spinnings and and corkscrew stuff from the uh, top to the outside. And I'm not I'm not surprised that he get injured here and there, but most of the time it's it's not big injuries. Uh, I mean, he's he's been doing that since he was like much smaller than that. Kevin, too. The thing is, you have to to understand about those two guys now. Like uh, Sammy is probably two ten now, two hundred, and and Kevin's probably two eighty. But they when they first started to work, they they were both about uh, one fifty five, one fifty. So they've been doing those maneuvers since they were small, and they. He kept doing it the the whole way through, so it's not like someone who's uh, 280 or 200 pounds and decide to to, to do that kind of stuff. Uh, it'd be harder than if you if you you start when you're you're small and then and you grow up with it. But uh, the thing that first comes to my mind my mind about uh, Sammy is uh, is the fact that he always had the crowd going for him. Uh, when he was El Generico, it was the Ole, 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 Ole. And <clears throat> I've seen him in Montreal. I've seen him in uh, in Germany. I've seen him in, in, in England where I remember Brian Dixon was not thinking much of him. I mean, he thought that he could just fill in some spot or just, just be there, you know, just try to help him because he was in Germany and the guys had uh, two, three weeks to fill in. And, you know, the promoter in England would take care uh, El Generico with some other guys like Chris Hero and, and other guys like that that were in Germany just to help out 
for them to uh, fill in their uh, itinerary, you know, so they didn't have uh, empty weeks. And uh, first thing you know, you know, he's getting a big chance and he's getting the crowd going and nobody was expecting that. And that's the thing that come, comes out first about about uh, Sami Zayn is the fact that wherever he goes, where whatever he does, <laughs> they took him, they took the... Uh, the El Generico gimmick out of him and you still get the the crowd going. No matter what they do to him. I mean I, I, I just think people will always like uh kinda cheer for this guy. That's that's the thing I uh that comes to my mind. I mean you just know how to get the crowd going. Definitely, definitely true. But now if I could shift from you know, guys that you've trained in, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, into yourself. Now, obviously, there's been a huge hotbed of great wrestlers that have been coming out of Canada for a very long time. Immediately, obviously, you know, you mentioned Owen and Brett. They obviously stick out. But, of course, you got Jacques Rougeau, his brother Raymond, but also you. Now, where did you actually meet Jacques Rougeau? Was it down there in Puerto Rico? Yeah, in Puerto Rico, actually, uh, yeah, we... Uh... Uh, I always kind of envisioned something like that uh, when I was uh, younger. I didn't know how I was going to make it to the WWF, uh, or, but uh, I knew I was going to make it. Uh, uh, and I that's why, uh, that's, that's one thing I want to say, like uh, when uh, Kevin started with, uh, started with Jacques, and actually Jacques wanted to sign him uh to a contract where, uh, you know, he promised uh, Kevin that he was going to get him to the WWF. And Kevin, after a while, like, didn't believe that anymore. And uh, he asked me for an advice if uh, if uh, he was leaving Jacques, it was going to hurt him to make it to the big time. And I just told him, if you, uh, if you believe in yourself and if, if you do what you have to do and, and pay your dues and work hard and, do whatever you have to do, you know, to make it. If you don't make it with Jock, you're going to make it with someone else. And if you, you know, whomever, you know, things going to happen your way because you're, you're going to do, you know, whatever you have to do to make it. It's not one person that can hold you back or hold you down or say you can do it or you won't do it. It's, you have your destiny in your hands. That's what I told them. And, um, I, I felt like that too myself when I was younger, and uh, uh, you know, I just uh, I just happened to to be at the right place at the right time. And uh, but but prior to that, it was just uh, catastrophic. It was just like uh, chaos. It was bad timing every time. Like uh, I, I went to the Calgary Stampede, I was rejected. You know. Uh, I couldn't even have a match. Uh, I couldn't speak a word of English. Uh, uh, boys just ribbed me. Uh, uh, from there, uh, I tried other place. Uh, always know. Uh, been to uh, kind of help out someone in Toronto called uh, Steve Irwin. Uh, had his first match against me, and I uh, really took care of him. And uh, I guess he was pretty grateful for that. But uh, it was a year or two, never heard of him. And I went to the Maritimes after working for Dupre. Um, 
they put me right on top of the card. I wasn't ready. I fucked up a lot of match. Uh, got uh, fired in the first month or month and a half uh, into the summer. Uh, came back. Uh, <laughs> came back in Montreal with uh, my ass, uh, my hands, if you want. You know, I was pretty down. Uh, and uh, I kept uh, believing that. Uh, might have been something for me out there in the wrestling business, and uh, out of nowhere, <clears throat> this guy uh, that had his first match against me in Toronto called me uh, from England, and uh, England was my first breakthrough, uh, really. <clears throat> so uh, I went there and I worked for uh, Brian Dixon, and uh, we were put on top, you know, in the main event, and uh, we drew big, and we uh, we did uh, big houses, and. Uh, from there, we start picking up confidence. I had a partner there. We were called Double Trouble, and my partner was uh, Rick Crawford, uh, someone from Montreal. And uh, from there, uh, I went to work for um, Auto Vans in the big territory in the CWA in Germany, and then the Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon. And then, uh, like I said, I envisioned... Uh, Maybe seeing Jacques there because I was watching uh, in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I was watching the uh, the results, and I knew that uh, the Rougeau were going there sometimes. And uh, I always had in my mind that uh, meeting someone in Montreal when you're from Montreal uh, doesn't really uh, mean much, but because there's so many wrestlers, you know, in the, in the same home town city that you you are, that uh, you just one from many others, but uh, if you meet someone, you know, on the road, that means more. I always thought that. So, uh, and uh, Jacques was pretty impressed that I had been wrestling for seven, eight years and never heard of me. And uh, check uh, some of my matches in Puerto Rico, and uh, he was really over with Vince. I mean, Jacques... uh, uh, he said, uh, I'm going to get you into uh, WWF. And uh, we uh, we went to eat at Ponderosa in Puerto Rico. And when after we uh, finished eating, he uh, just uh, put a dime and uh, another dime, but a quarter into the phone booth and uh, called the office and had Vince on the line right away. And uh, told him I got someone for here that uh, you have to look at. And uh, two weeks after, I was on the, my way for uh, a couple of tryouts. So... That went pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. And being connected there with Jacques Rougeau and kind of earning his respect is a, is a big-time thing, especially you guys being from, you know, the Montreal, Canada area especially, and then meeting down in Puerto Rico and then him setting you up with Vince and WWF. But what was your thoughts when you, you, know, you came to the WWF, you know, you meet Vince, and then they want to package you with Jacques as the Quebecers? Well, a lot of things... Uh was going on into my back. Like, uh, a lot of things, since I was a young kid, you know, uh, uh, probably Jacques uh, never really told me the, the whole story. He probably kept some secrets from me. I, I don't know. I really don't know. I couldn't, I don't want to judge him on that or whatever. But I went, I did my tryouts uh, by myself in single matches. And, uh, uh, and the way that Jock uh, was setting up the thing, it was like uh, he never said that we were going to be a tag team or something like that. But I I knew good enough that Ray had just retired like a year ago, 
and Jock was taking some matches on the indie circuit because uh, he just uh, had a second son, and uh, he wanted to spend some time at home with his wife, with with, with his wife, and uh, and also uh, he was at the end of the run of the Mountie, and you know he didn't want to restart or start the jobbing out for a year or so, so he just wanted to take some time off and rethink what he was going to do. And uh, it was just a good fit, you know, like for him, it was a new tag team partner. Jacques was always a big fan of tag team matches. He always liked tag team matches more than single matches. Uh, I'm also like, uh, I'm also, uh, I came from a tag team, like I always had a tag team partner before. And uh, so I was good in tag teams. But uh, when we met in Puerto Rico, I was single. I was in a doing like uh, working a, a feud with uh, Invader Invader uh, Jose Gonzalez so uh, and and Jacques was feuding with Carlos Colon so we were like doing a semi main event in the, in the main event in Puerto Rico and uh, so we did that and, and uh, just out of nowhere like uh, after that I, I went for a wing in Japan it took some time uh, before I heard from him I called him a few times. I called Jock a few times uh, just to know if he, he knew what was going on because I tried out like in March and uh, we kind of started in June. Uh, but uh, I would say around mid-April or May, he called me and said, hey, do you have a, a wrestling ring? I said, yeah, I got one. I used to run some show when I was really young. He said, okay, uh, bring it to Rodden in my hometown and uh, we'll build it in the, in the backyard and We'll, we'll bring some guys and we'll work some matches and we'll uh, start working on our chemistry as a tag team because uh, we are debuting in June on WWF as the Quebecers and your name will be Pierre, my name will stay Jacques and blah, blah, blah. The, he gave me the whole thing, you know, the whole scenario. And uh, I was really happy with that. I couldn't, couldn't wait to start. And, uh, and, that's we were supposed to be called the Mounties, and then the Mounties uh, put a lawsuit on Vince for having this name, so change it for the Quebecers. Uh, it was supposed to be either the, the Canucks or the Quebecers, and uh, and then uh, Vince, uh, as a receipt to the RCMP, wanted us to sing, "We're not the Mounties. We're in some with brave or strong. We always get our man." And things like that. So, um, so uh, we went. We registered the song with uh, the music guy in WWE, and uh, in June we started. And uh, the thing that is funny is uh, I had a lot of heat with the boys because I was uh, the youngest kid there with uh, one, two, three kids, and uh, was the youngest of the crew and. Three months after, not even I was just doing the TV tapings and not even started full time on the road. That we were already tag team champions, and that brought me a lot of heat. But in the meantime, nobody knew uh, everything that I've been through in my career. It's seven, eight years, you know, since the age of sixteen years old, fifteen years old, you know, all the, all the. Uh, uh, tough time I've been through a hard time the failures many many failures 
you know, no place to live, living with the uh, Salvation Army, with other kids uh, in Calgary because I had no money, you know, to, to rent a room and I wasn't working, and things like that, you know, it's a really tough time, you know, uh, traveling like uh, six, seven in a car in England for 30 pounds, not even 50 bucks a night and uh, seven days a week, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of things that that the boys in the WWF couldn't imagine that I've been through, you know. And uh, to me, it was well-deserved when I became the WWF uh, tag team champion with Jock. I mean, it was, it was, uh, for me, it was uh, like uh, a big breakthrough that was due because I had proven myself to life that I was not going to give up. And, uh, Something uh, good must have been coming out of that the whole thing. So, and also my uh, my language, my the way I was talking uh, to myself inside myself in my head was always positive. Always, you know, stay positive about things will get better and things will happen. Not to uh, take this hard and just keep on working and working my skills, working my English, working on this, working on that, getting better on this, getting better on that. And finally, when when uh, success came, uh, just thought it was well-deserved, but psychology, in a psychological way, I was not ready for it at a young age like I was. So I, just, just to say that it's tough to deal with the fame. I mean, it's yeah, tough not to change. Not not to change, even though you, you think you're not changing. Uh, the things that the fact that you're making more money, the fact that you get recognized everywhere you go, that you get the red carpet everywhere you go. That if you don't have money when you're broke and you're trying to make it into the business, you have to pay for your drinks, you have to pay for your food, you have to pay for everything. But once you're you're famous, then people don't want you to pay for those things anymore. They're they're proud to say that you're welcome and you don't have to pay for this and you don't have to pay for that and we're happy to have you with us. And all those things make you change, but you don't know that you're changing, but your environment knows that you are changing. So um, that's that's a tough thing about uh, about fame or about wrestling or about whatever, hockey player, baseball player. I don't care who you are and what kind of things you do, but if you become really, really famous and you're not ready to deal with it, it's going to change you a little bit for sure. Definitely. You know, the thing with you, you, you know, with you growing up in the business, obviously, you know, the kind of uh, hard time, especially with WWF being somewhat of a shark infested waters, you know, at that point, but it is great that you and Jacques were able to capture that chemistry because like you said, like you guys wanted to be a real tag team. So was it hard kind of getting that chemistry? Because it didn't seem like it on TV. It seemed like you guys had immediate chemistry as soon as you came together because so many great tag team maneuvers and so much great wrestling in ring. Yeah, no, the chemistry was there right away. Uh, we, uh, even though it was a jock, uh, <clears throat> a lot of character, and I got one, and uh, 
the thing that made made us click so quickly is that like we really got along good. But uh, Jacques is a little bit of like uh, a control freak a bit, you know. And uh, but I, at first, you know, you don't mind because you catch your first break into the business. You say, okay, I got a veteran in front of me. He's gonna show me the ropes. He's gonna show me how to do it. He's gonna, you know, so you let him take the guide and. And you try to learn from, you know, and uh, for uh, for the, the beginning, you know, it goes okay. But after a while, you, you kind of want to settle to a sort of a 50-50 type of deal, you know, and, and like any marriage, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and then that's when the things start to get, you know, uh, a little bit harder, you know, as a tag team. So... I mean, uh, I would say with my first tag team partner, uh, uh, Nelson or, or Rick Crawford, uh, never had any, we never had any discussion about, you know, uh, you did uh, too much of the, too much of this and you, you took the whole spotlight and you don't left anything to me and things like that. But, you know, this is, this is the language of the business, you know, uh, it happens against someone sometimes you you know you you're putting a match together and you know ahead of time that you're gonna be smart and you know that you want to take advantage of the guy that you're gonna be wrestling against but sometimes if you're someone like Bret Hart you know it's hard to outsmart him and try to make him think uh, that it's gonna make him look good when you know it's gonna make him look bad and he's he's trying to tell you that uh, this thing's going to be good for you, but you don't know if he's truthful or if he wants to just take advantage of you. So dealing your match uh, becomes something really, really psychology, really tough because like uh, one, one time, you know, like uh, Terry Funk asked me to uh, pile drive him three times and he wouldn't, and he said, I'm not going to sell any of the three pile drivers and then I'm going to get up and beat the crap out of you. And I refused to do it, so because I didn't think it was. I think it was good for him, but I didn't think it was going to be good for myself. And 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 if you're a yes guy all the time, I think you you're going to end up doing all the things that everybody wants you to do, and you're not going to do the things that you want to do. It's 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 touchy. Like, the guy who res- resumed this wrestling business the most. To me, uh, someone who used to be my enemy and become a, quite a good friend at the, in the last years was Kevin Nash. And he told me uh, when I wrestled against him in 2009, he came in Montreal and put me over. And uh, he said, brother, he said, you know, I've had all the position in the business, you know, I've had all the titles. He said, I can't wrestle shit. I'm just a good politician. It was uh, quote Kevin Nash. Hmm. So, so uh, and I think uh, that's uh, I was a little bit missing in myself, you know. I mean, I I wasn't quite uh, such a good politician, <laughs> I, I guess. You know, it's so. funny you mentioned Nash because obviously we were going to bring him up at one point, but. On our show uh, about two months ago, we had Shane Douglas on, and he recounts a story that involves you and Kevin Nash from the infamous incident in Montreal that, you know, we've all heard the story about, uh, you know, the the incident with Kevin Nash and and not wanting to do proper business 
for a full house in Montreal, uh, your hometown. But Shane Douglas retold, retold the story, and I've heard him tell it before, about uh, what was going on with the click backstage at that point and what led to Kevin Nash kind of uh, balking at that finish. Um, what are your memories of that instance and that, that whole incident happening? Because he retells it like he saw it happen right in front of him, you know, yesterday. It's so clear to him. But um, looking back on it, uh, what really happened that night in Montreal? Oh, Shane, uh, Shane called it like he just saw it in front of his eyes. Shane Douglas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. He, yeah. he was Shane. in. The, he says he was oh, in the locker room. Oh, actually, Shane, Shane was uh, was like really was not welcomed by the clique. You know, uh, Razor and Kevin and Sean. They were saying that Shane was so overrated that he was drizzling shits, and they they just put him down and like every chance they had. Either if it was in a bus drive or in the dressing room, or I mean, they were on this case big time, and and the clique was like, they were tough to deal with. You know, they were taking a lot of space. They were they were calling all the shots, and they were heavy. You know, because they had all the titles. You know, I think Razor had the the IC belt, and Kevin was the world champ, and. And sometimes Kevin and, and and Sean were the tag champs, and then uh, Sean was the IC champ, and they were rolling the belts between themselves. With with Triple H was getting there, and uh, and the one two three kid, and um, a little bit um, Aldo Montoya was trying to carry some briefcase there in there, and some suitcases, and trying to get in with the boys and with with the click. Uh, and uh, to me, I guess uh, it's just just been a build up, you know, between me and the boys. And uh, I just I just you, you have to uh, consider one thing that probably Shane doesn't know, but uh, at one point when uh, the Quebecers gimmick was finished, and we started the Jean Pierre Lafitte, Lafitte gimmick, the pirate, and I and I sold it. He made two events and he bought it big time and he said, "Oh, you, you know, we'll we'll push you, we'll push you, we'll push you. You're not gonna wrestle in Montreal like for like almost two years, and then when you will, you know, you'll be like fucking over, and then that'll be crazy. And um, so I'm going to, to uh, I'm going back home with that in my mind, and uh, I know I've got some time off to do before you know I." I start a new character and I can train and I'm still getting paid and everything. And uh, out of nowhere, Vince called me himself. I don't. He says, uh, "Hey, Carl, what's going on?" And I was very surprised. Vince on the phone is like, "You would never call me. It's always an agent or someone would call me, or probably JJ Dillon or the, one of the." Uh, uh, Brothers, uh, Briscoe Brothers, something like that, or Tom Pritchard. Anyways, Vince called me. He says, "Hey man, he says, uh, our RRS uh, Rotondo just got hurt uh, last night. We got a big show coming up in Montreal. I know you're not on the show, but I would like to uh, to have you working you know, against Sean and uh, Michaels." So I said, uh, "Okay, no problem. I'll work with Sean." So. 
uh, Jacques just retired, and uh, I was still talking to him and asking for advice. And I don't blame anyone for this, but anyways, uh, I'm doing the semi-main event against Sean, and there, towards the animal still came up to me says, uh, "You gotta, you gotta push Sean over." Uh, which one really hurt me because I was starting a new character after. But Jacques was so hyped up, you know, for Montreal. He's like, I called him, asked him advice, and he says, well, if you lose against Sean, you know, you're finished in Montreal and your is not going to go nowhere, blah, 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 blah. So I was kind of all confused in my head and didn't know really what to do. So at first I went to uh, Georgia Animal Steel and I said I didn't want to put Sean over. And uh, Sean got pissed off. And uh, so just maybe 10 minutes or uh, half an hour after, I rechanged my mind and I went back to Sean. And I said, oh, okay, man, I'll do it. Oh, don't worry. It's all right. It's just, uh, I'm sorry. I just, I just kind of... I'm all confused, you know, but ah, I'm going to do it. So it was just a little, you know, like 15 minutes maybe where I said I was not going to do it, but I changed my mind. Like, But I got him pissed off a little bit because he said, you know, 30 guys just put me over in the Royal Rumble, and you, and you fucking just don't want to put me over here in Montreal. So what's wrong with you? And uh, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about what, what Jacques was telling me and that. Uh, I said to myself, yeah, maybe he's right. And anyways, I'm going to start a new gimmick. So it could have, it could have uh, injured my, could have impacted my new gimmick because, you know, it was not like, a, that was I would, that was I was thinking as if I start on the wrong foot. I mean, it's not going to help out much for, for the Lafitte gimmick after. So uh, Sean agreed where I was taking a huge bump on the cement floor. He beats me with a foot on the, on the, on the top rope and, and Rick Martell came in the ring and I told him a big thing. Anyways, oh, I finally put him over and everybody's happy. And then I started the, the new character after. But they always had that in their mind, Sean. You know, always had that little thing in his mind that I kind of semi-refused to put him over at one point in my life. So... Shane Douglas doesn't know that. Nobody knows that. Probably just Georgie Animal Steel, Sean, a few guys. So anyways, I started the new character. I started, I started the new character, and uh, they have me going over for like eight months without losing. Like, I'm going undefeated. And uh, I'm going to... Uh, at the Montreal Forum, uh, it's the main event for the for the title against uh, uh, Kevin Nash for the world title. And I know it's Montreal, it's Quebec City, and then it's Toronto. It's three shots for the title. And when that's, I have to go back in the time too because when Jacques retired, uh, he did his match against me. It was sold out. It was like almost 19,000 people there at the farm. After that, Jacques and Vince agreed to go to the Montreal Stadium or, you know, the Olympic Stadium where there's 60,000, 80,000 people that can fill in there. 
I was supposed to go against Bob Backlund for a world title. I was supposed to win the title as Jacques as my manager. But at one point, Vince called Jacques and said, Jacques, we don't have what we need to go there. And Jacques got pissed off, and he told Vince, well, if I don't go with you, Vince, at the Montreal Stadium, I will go with Hogan. And I was on the phone for... Because I was at Jacques' house, I was listening on the the other line, and Jacques was talking to Vince, and he really like told Vince like really like shit like he did. He really said that. And he was really pissed off because Jacques had already made the arrangement for the rent of the stadium, how much it was gonna cost. He was on the phone regularly with Vince, and we were really supposed to do that. And I was really supposed to be back on for the title with Jacques as my manager even if it was going to be for a week or two. And um, finally, Vince changed his mind. So I'm going and starting the Lafitte thing. And um, I'm going eight months undefeated, meaning pretty much like no big names, but all, you know, semi-big name job guys and things like that. One over, 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 over. And then came the match against Nash with a title. So in my mind... If I go and re-perspective, re- you know, the thing that I'm supposed, I was supposed to be back to, be, to become the world champion, I'm thinking that maybe Vince was going to give me a candy there, you know, like, you know, like business-wise, whatever, for whatever reason, you know. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to grab the strap in Montreal, carry it on into Quebec City and drop it in Toronto. That would make perfectly sense, you know. In my hometown, I get the strap for two nights, and then he regain it in Toronto. But uh, three weeks or a month before the show, Nash came up to me. He knew about the little crash that I had with Sean the year before, and uh, he said, "Okay, brother." He said, "In Montreal, it's me and you for a time." I didn't even know I had like. Uh, Title match coming up against uh, against it was probably two months before the, the show wasn't even advertised yet. I didn't I didn't even have received my my booking sheet saying that I was in Montreal against uh, Nash for the title. That he already called the finish to me. He said, "Man, it's gonna be an eight minute match. I'm gonna give you my big boot and I'm gonna fucking jackknife you one, two, three in the middle of the ring in Montreal in your hometown." And uh, and Sid was beside me when when he called the shot, so uh, he got me uh, he got me all pumped up, and I for for a month or two I was just thinking about the fact that we always get to finish the night of the the night of the show unless it was a big pay per view against Brett I wouldn't know ahead of time, and me and Brett would discuss the the match over the phone and. Uh, what we wanted to do and things like that. Brett was really professional before pay-per-views. You know, he would always give me a phone number and and wanted to talk about how we're going to work the match out and things like that. I was so surprised that he was saying that. And I I just got really, really mad against the click. And the fact that he was so cocky, Nash, uh, when Montreal came and Tony Garea at five o'clock, four or five o'clock in the afternoon, he called me in the room and said, okay, tonight, we want a good solid match, eight to 10 minutes, big boot, jackknife. And then this time I totally refused to do it. Totally refused to do the job for him.
And it was because to me it was just a cranked up like things, you know, it was just a bad blood things. It was just a, a revenge. It was and the thing was cool in it. It was just uh cocky and just the demonstration of pure power with the office, the way they played it with me. And uh, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to go with it. So they pressured me, pressured me, pressured me. They had like all the agents called me. Sean came with his intercontinental belt, wanted to beat me up. And I told him, I said, you fucking little fucker, you know, sorry for the words. <laughs> That's the way it happened in the business though, in the, in the locker room. I said, I said, if you miss me with your belt, I'm gonna fucking kill you, man. I'm gonna fucking beat you up. You won't fucking believe it. And he never, he never really touched me. But all the dressing room was on the the bench side of the hockey players, you know, <clears throat> because uh, they were they were all hoping that Nash was gonna give me a hell of a beating during that match. It was gonna be a shoot match. Because uh, Nash came back to me again just before we went into the ring. He looked at me and said, so you sure you don't want to do the job for me? I said, no, I'm not doing it. If you want me to lose against you tonight, I, I pick up my bag right now. I'm going to sleep at home in Montreal. I don't give a shit. You won't have a main event tonight. I'm leaving the building. So he said, okay, let's do a double count out. And uh, it's just a real stiff match. <laughs> It was a it was a it was a pretty hard tornado, but uh, not where someone was gonna get injured. But uh, on the double count out, the the nearer we're getting close, the closer we're getting to the dressing room, the harder the shots were coming. You know, in the back of the head or in the back or on the head, and had to uh, reply with the uh, you know with strength too and just don't let him uh, let him uh, beat me up I just just stood up for myself so that was a tough night so the next morning the phone was ringing everybody thought I was gonna quit and things like that so I had the office calling me and uh, I had to wrestle again against Nash in Quebec City the next night so it was uh, it was pure nightmare but uh, they made me uh, say that I made a mistake and uh, apologize to Kevin and uh, and tell him that in Quebec City that I would do business and uh, I would lose against him. So uh, we went the next time and uh, obviously I was really nervous, but I had some backups too. But you know, like I had like uh, the, the let's say uh, the Cowboys. Uh, um, Bart and uh, Billy and Bart and, and a little bit uh Bob Holly and, and uh, Sid Vicious, they were on my side uh, against the click. And uh, Taker was kind of uh, in the middle, you know, was not taking any sides really. And uh, some other guys too, like the Samoans and the, some other guys like the the twin brothers, uh, the Harris brothers, they were like, 
didn't like the click either, so it was half and half, but there was like some some guys that didn't like the fact that I didn't want to lose against the champ, and that was not professional, that was not business. And I shouldn't be with the, the company anymore, but I guess I made, I made such a good impression on Vince during Jacques' retirement match that I, I was proven that I could be a, a main event guy. Because you, you got to put it this way, when I did the main event against Jacques, when we sold out the, the Montreal Forum, and we work on top of everyone. We work on top of Sean. We work on top of Yokozuna. We work on top of The Undertaker. We work on top of Razor Ramon, Kevin Nash. The whole team was there. I mean, Jeff Jarrett, everybody was on the card. We were on top of all of those guys. And we blew the, you know, we, we turned the house down. We blew the roof off. We we topped everyone off, you know. I mean, with our, our matches, was really the best match of the night. And it was not a, not even a match that was near us by by far. I mean, it was totally another game. It was it was the rest of the card, and it was our match. And our match was just a masterpiece, really. And Vince really, really got impressed. And and we had the ring set up at Jacques' house. We practiced that match night after night and day after day, and three days three three times a week during a one day. And, and every day of the week, and we really put on everything we added to this match to make it su- successful, and, and it did. And then also we had the the media coverage, and we had everything. So, um, so that's why I guess uh, Vince kept me even after the old incident in Montreal, Quebec City. I mean, I like I never finished really the story, but I apologize to to Nash and everything. We did the match. At one point, I go up to I went up to the third top rope to do my uh, leg drop of the top, and I hit him accidentally uh, on the nose. I dropped my boot right on his face, and he popped out and we start you know like shooting at each other. And he called us finish out of it and and big booed me and pinned me one two three, and. Uh, I didn't like the fact that he roughed me up into the corner. I jumped on him into the dressing room, and then all all uh, uh, hell broke loose. And we had another match set up against the next night in Toronto. So for Toronto, I mean, I kind of uh, kind of had uh, a tough two days and. I took the last train from Montreal to Toronto. It was probably six o'clock. I got there at seven. I got into the building. It was a bit, a little bit late. He changed the card. They put me against Fat Two. They put uh, Nash against someone else. And then right after Toronto, we were uh, leaving to uh, Europe. And so we left to uh, Germany and some other countries in Europe. And Vince kept adding me winning in Europe. So I'm uh, against Aldo Montoya, one guy of the clique, and uh, he's uh, he's doing jobs for me every night in Europe, and that pissed off the clique big time. I mean, every night after in the bus, he couldn't believe that motherfucker is going over again. I was he's not the business. He didn't want to do business in Montreal. They don't have him. They don't job him out. There. So I'm gonna call Vincent. They all had Vincent's phone number. You could all call them on the cell. So they were probably every, everybody was calling him every night on the cell. <clears throat> so anyway, after two weeks in Europe, 
you come back in the States, it's in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, house show. Not even 1,200 <clears throat> person people in the in the in the arena. It's empty. Business wasn't that good at that time. It's uh, so Vince shows up. Up. I'm sorry. Continue. No, no. Vince just shows up, and then the big meeting is called in in Cleveland, Ohio, with uh, nine or ten guys uh, like Taker, Yokozuna. Kevin Nash and Triple H. Everybody's in a meeting except myself. <laughs> and they're voting for who they got to get rid of to make the business be better. So they want to get rid of the, uh, what's it called? The, the guy who does the garbage, the garbage man. Anyways, they, 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 they put his name down. He had two, three names that they want to get rid of. And my name was there, too. And Vince protected my name. He said, no. He said, uh, I'm going to handle Carwillette myself. He said, uh, this is this is my thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle that myself. We're not going to fire him. So I guess I got my stuff out of there, you know. And uh, it wasn't a bad timing because of the series. And... Uh, against the one two three kid uh, team and uh, I was in one of the team and uh I just kinda pulled out for a small injury. I could wrestle but uh, I decided to get my hernia operated but I didn't have to because it was not in really injured me. It was it was not like uh, stopping me from wrestling. And uh after that I decided to go to WCW and uh reunite with Jock and in the meantime, Nash and Hall had made their move to WCW. So I guess if I, I would have stayed, you know, and and, uh, and went through a tough time a little bit like uh, Triple H did when he did the uh, he did the curtain call, and they all showed up and Vince was pissed, and uh, they had like Triple H job for a whole year, I guess. Uh, that that could have been uh, you know good for me, but I in the, just bad timings after that uh, it didn't work out. WCW didn't work out. As soon as Nash was there and he saw me, and I was done, and uh, it was the same thing. I mean, uh, after when I, when we came back into the state after that meeting and uh, uh, where I told you. Uh, uh, with all the wrestlers and everything with Vince in the meeting on, on the house show. Um, after that, I was doing jobs every night. That's why I didn't carry into the uh, the uh, Survivor Series because I was jobbing every night after that, after the big meeting. So I just I just thought I didn't have any future. But And then the two main guys just left and went to WCW. So it's just to... The, it's just to uh, just tells you that you never know how, how things are gonna turn out into this business. It could uh, that could literally be the greatest house show uh, feud slash build up slash story I think I've ever heard, and it's something that you know, like I said, you know, we've heard aspects of it before, but I've never heard your take on it, and it's fascinating. 
uh, how the business was at that point, because obviously that would never happen in 2016, especially with the group of guys that's out there now. But you touched on it, and we wanted to hit it, and John's going to go back and uh, just to hit on some of the Quebecer highlights. But Jacques' retirement, uh, which was a breakup uh, storyline on the house show, that took place on Montreal television. You guys uh, did amazing numbers up there. It was a match that, like you said, it headlined a huge card at the time. But what did it mean for you at that point? I know Jacques has uh, since wrestled, you know, multiple times, obviously, and uh, has had a couple of retirement matches. But at that point, to wrestle Jacques' retirement match, what did that mean to you, especially with your history? Uh, to me, it meant a lot because uh, to me it was also uh, – no, the Rougeau are like uh, icons in Montreal. They were icons, they still are. And, uh, you know, to have the chance to, to wrestle his retirement match, you know, uh, for him to choose me uh, between maybe a hundred other wrestlers that could have made it, you know, made made it good too. You know, it could have been Hogan, could have been anyone else, you know. Uh, the fact that I was he chose me, I mean, it was great, and that gave me. I mean, in Montreal, I became really, really, it really pushed me up to uh, a level that uh, that no one. I mean, I don't think like, even now, if you Kevin Owens probably in the WWE is so well known, but the people here they don't know him that much because. He's not in the media stream like I was. Like I was in every magazine. I was on the front page of the the newspapers. I was on the back page of the newspapers. I was on the beginning of the sports news. I was a, uh, I was on three shows a week. And sports news uh, open line. I was, it was just crazy. I mean, I mean the the hottest hockey player of the Montreal Canadiens. I could go beside them and, and, and people would recognize me as much as they would recognize them, you know? I mean, it was crazy, crazy media stream, you know, crazy, crazy. And for me, it was local. It was here in Montreal, it was here in Quebec, but also it was, it was going to be the pinnacle, you know, the start of my single career, you know? That's, that's why I didn't want... Because when Jacques quit, you know, when, when Jacques quit, because you know why he quit? He told you during his interview what was the story, why he decided he was going to retire? Did he tell you? No, I, I'm trying to think back. I believe, I know we talked about the retirement, but I don't know if he gave us the reason why he really retired. Okay, the reason was uh, we're at WrestleMania, and uh, we're supposed to, Jacques had been complaining a little bit to Vince that, you know, we have, like, some scrappy match, and we don't have, like, clear-cut win, like, strong with our finish, the power in the middle of the ring, boom, one, two, three. You know, it's always like, okay, I grab the foot and cheat and this and that. So he wanted us to go another step, you know, further. Jacques wanted the Quebecers to be in another step, like, more, like, uh, uh, kick ass, you know, hard to beat and really tough guy, you know, to beat their opponent with their finish. So Vince had promised us a real strong win against Men on a Mission at WrestleMania. Uh, in the afternoon, Pat came to us. Uh, in the afternoon of, uh, it was a, the Madison Square Garden in New York. And he came up to, came up to us and he said, okay, guys, uh, 
the finish is going to be like, yeah, you, you guys going to retain the belt. You're going to retain your titles, but it'll be a count-out. Jacques said, what? A count-out? And, uh, <laughs> and he was so mad. He came at me and said, this, you know, first Vince owes me money, and now he promised the biggest win of our career as the Quebecers on WrestleMania, and then now it's a count-out? No, no. He said, I'm going to be business. I'm going to do what they want tonight, but I'm going to tell Vince I retire. So that's the kind of play the angle in the match where I push Jacques, Jacques push me, and like something was going wrong. And But prior to Jacques asked me to go with him to WCW, which I totally refused because I worked my ass off to be in the WWF and all my childhood, I just wanted to be in the WWF. I didn't want to be in WCW. And and to be quite honest with you, I felt like I've done, I had done my time with Jock, you know, to, you know, to be as like a sidekick kind of, you know, like uh, to, 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 to say yes to all his orders or, everything that he was asking me to, you know, I, I just thought my years as a rookie, you know, I did what I had to do and it was my time to to shine a little bit more and to prove what I could do by myself. So by having the retirement matches, that pleased me and it seems to please Jacques. And, and after that, like we were supposed to have another kind of angle where Jacques was supposed to be my manager as a baby face and maybe the states after that he was going to be my manager as a heel but I would still be in the ring and wrestle and even if he would keep some light on him you know uh, that would help me carry through my uh, single career so I was happy with that but uh, things didn't turn out that way and uh, like I said like they didn't want to do the stadium in Montreal and Jacques uh, broke bridge right there decided to go with Ogan and uh and uh, that's it, you know. That's 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 the the reason why Jacques retired was because we didn't have our big victory that we were supposed to have at WrestleMania. And that's that's how uh, that's how things started to uh, evolve towards a retirement match, and that's how history made itself, I guess. <laughs> very very true. Now you know with Jacques and with the Quebecers, I just wanted to just. One of the main feuds you guys had in the WWF, and I just want to touch on it, was against the Steiner brothers. Did you like working with the Steiners? And, and what did you think of that feud? Because that was a, a pretty good feud as far as, you know, the tag team division at that point in the WWF. Yeah, we had great matches with them. I mean, we we had just things for them to be happy with me. And my, one of my main qualities, my bumpings, you know, I was a huge bumper and, I made the Steiners look good, you know, for uh, like a, uh, nearly 300 pounds. And, uh, they threw me all over the place, and they were quite happy with that. And just just one funny, that was, one thing that was funny, <laughs> at one point, uh, Rick Steiner came up to Jacques and said, Jacques, it took me eight years to build up my clothesline, and you bum on your fucking ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we changed that match where, you know, Rick was, was gut kicking Jock and after threw him through the ropes and uh, I was taking the Steiner liner. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, we 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 worked around to make them happy and uh, and I thought we had some great matches with them, like especially in the WWF, and WCW too. But WWF, we tore some house down with them. I mean, 
Literally, we and we tore some house down. It was great. I mean, I was happy to work with them because I like their style, and uh, it was just just that one thing that didn't get along good with Jacques is Jacques hates rivers, and they're they're kind of river. And you know what happened with Dynamite Story. So every mm-hmm. time that a rib a rib was involved involving someone, you know, you had Jacques against you. So Jacques didn't really like. Uh, John uh, Radshaw didn't really like Owen that much because Owen was a big ribber. Uh, he would, he would, as long as he wouldn't rib him, you know. But once you rib Jacques, you know, it's like he's against you, you know. He don't like you no more. So, uh, and I and I can't see why because every time I've seen rib, you know, it always escalates into something bigger. So, so he just he just wanted to make sure that. Nothing was going to happen to him. So, but I see him in a couple of feuds, you know, with uh, Bradshaw, with uh, the Steiners, and with uh, Ludwig Borga, and a few times that he had to go up to someone and tell him that he was going to regulate him if the guy was not stopping his shit. So, so he would stood up for himself and always, always back him up, you know, so... We, but the, the thing with the Steiners is at one point in uh, in Germany they, they taped up the the midget uh, Ding the Clown uh, <laughs> on a pole, and they they start they start throwing food at him, and and then it became bigger. It was apple, it was oranges, and it was uh, cans of soda, and 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 Jock just uh, just had enough, and he he just threw a fit, you know, like he. He threw an apple uh, so hard, you know, at Rick Steiner, but it was a little post right in front of him, and the apple it totally exploded in a in thousand pieces, and we had to wrestle each other ten minutes after that. So, so we didn't know what we, what was going to happen in the ring, and uh, everything went smoothly. But uh, it was just uh, one of those things, you know, because. A lot of things happen. There's jealousy and money involved and fame, like I said. Uh, I remember one time we were doing some TV tapings and we had our four tires slashed uh, on our Cadillac and uh, we we wanted to know who did that. And uh, boys start to start pushing the heat from. Uh, they said it's the Steiners and then the Steiners said no, it's not them. It's Ludwig Borger. No, it's not Borger. It's someone else. And, uh, Jacques kind of put Borgo into a corner and questioned him. And uh, I guess Borgo shit his pants and he said it wasn't him. And nobody did anything after that. But uh, it's just, it was, uh, I guess you can say this thing has changed a little bit. I don't, I don't think if there's that much of strong ribs there anymore. I guess, I guess it's pretty smooth now. So, but, uh, I don't know. Like I, last time I really wrestled full time was like I said in 2010, 2008, 9, 10 in England, and I had fun. And we I was working every day there, and, and uh, had a good crew, and oh, the small ribs here and there, but nothing. Well, I was. I became one of the uh, like a you know a former WWE wrestler and. Or like a more a veteran, so I didn't have to deal with those things no more. 
like when you start in the business and you're you're young and you have to make your place for yourself, make some room for yourself and make the boys respect you. So uh, I guess uh, it's uh, it's quite a tough business. But uh, no, yeah, no doubt about that. You know, also the Quebecers, I mean, some great stories there, but, you know, you said great matches against the Steiners, which were great. But then, you know, you guys had some other great matches, too, against some, you know, lesser-known tag teams, like one of the three kid and Gennetti, who weren't really a team, but they put them together against you guys, and they were able yeah. to have good matches. Yeah, that was great. We had a, well, we had one in the Madison Square Garden, and uh, we had one on TV, uh, where uh, we we faked like uh, we lost the belt and it was like a finish where they had the foot on the rope, their foot on the ropes and so we restarted the match and when did our our day win or day one or we won. I don't know how it ended up but uh, I know uh, we did a few returns against one two three kid and uh, and Marty and uh, and that was uh, they, they were great matches. I mean, I mean, I mean, Kid was working his ass off to uh, to, to do good matches with us. Um, I had a single feud also uh, with Razor Ramon, and uh, and uh, that was that was the build up for my match against Jacques. I was working the IC Champ Razor around every city in Montreal, like uh, around you know, around Quebec City. And uh, he, he worked his ass off with me. Uh, I had nothing. I mean, Razor was. Scott was like, yeah, it depends on the day. Sometimes he was good and sometimes he was not. I mean, it's just, it was hard to, to read. But I I guess most of the time I had good time. I mean, it was just when they were all together that they were different, you know. Separately, they weren't that bad. For sure, and the Quebecers are definitely known, basically, you know, as kind of tag team specialists, all those tag team moves, and basically they have a good match with anybody. But, you know, as we talked about the, the breakup of the team, and then we talked a little bit about you becoming that pirate gimmick, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, you know, they kind of put you, you know, like you said, you were kind of defeated for a while, but you did have about a three-month-long program with Brett the Hitman Hart, and, you know, you're stealing his glasses, you were stealing his jacket, you know, you're doing all that kind of hokey stuff. Did you like all that outside stuff, that sports entertainment's kind of led to the more of the, the wrestling side when you and Brett actually got in there? Well, I guess uh, <clears throat> the whole thing about that, when I when I sold the idea to Vince about the pirate thing, I didn't want to make it like a huge character. I just, I just want to make someone with an handicap. Sometimes that had only one eye that could work, and I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to be more like uh, someone that uh, would be a role model to people that uh, have uh, different handicaps or uh, do things with uh, different, uh, let's say, uh, uh, special Olympics and. Get involved, you know, with, with different things that involve uh, courage and, and 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 things like that. You know, that's that was my idea of the character. You know, it was just that idea of the character. Oh, I sold it to Vince. Is my witness, my witness will become my strength. 
and that was about the eye thing because it was my my first dream and I grew up with this dream in my mind and it was to be a hockey player and when at the age of 12 uh, I got shot with a pellet gun in the eye uh, you know that dream kind of shattered you know and uh, I had to to rethink of a career a professional career and and uh, as a kid you know before going to my hockey practice and was always watching wrestling early in the morning, yeah. And uh, it, you know, I always liked wrestling, so it was not hard to make the transition from hockey to to wrestling. And on top of that, I work on the same building, like the Nassau Coliseum, the Madison Square Garden, the Boston Gardens, the Montreal Forums. So um, I had a similar life to a hockey player, which, which is what I was supposed. To become, and um, uh, that's that's the way I sold it to Vince. You know, the fact that they made it like uh, first the name, the Lafitte name. I didn't, I didn't see why, and I didn't feel comfortable with the name. But if you if you sell an idea and you got fifty percent of the idea that is sold, you know, you're gonna agree with the other fifty percent that you don't agree. So that's the way I saw it. So I, you know, it was hard for me to uh, to tell the people that was from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, now and nothing more from Montreal, and that I was the the grand grandson of a great pirate and things like that. It was a little bit more, too much of an. Uh, uh, I don't know, sloppy character, I guess. But uh, just the fact that they put some time and energy on my character and made me happy, you know, like uh, I had the crossbone with my face as I was walking into the ring. I had my own lightings. I had a, was supposed to have um, uh, the bird that was supposed to fly around the arena like they did with Sting a little bit and, and stop on my arms. That was the next project that Vince had for me, you know, he came up with different stuff. Uh, it was supposed to be an eagle, actually, that was supposed to fly around the arena and come back on my gloves. And, and they were supposed to invest, you know, money in the character. But uh, the character itself, you know, stealing things and stuff like that, I guess I, I kind of threw some ideas at them. Uh, but... Uh, the whole thing with, you know, you will walk the plank and things like that. I was Brett, you know, making his interviews like that. And I I guess I didn't agree on, on everything, but like I said, when when you have like a part of your your thing that you want to sell is sold, I guess you, you try to make the best of it with the rest. You know, Vince, Vince is like that, you know, he'll buy something from you or you sell something to him, but he's going to re- rearrange it to a, his own taste or what he thinks, you know, it's going to be good, but he's going to re- rearrange it to where it's not your idea anymore. It always becomes like it is his idea. If you know what I mean. Yep. Um, what I want to say. Yeah. So, so that's, that's my, that's my thinking on, on the whole 
character. You know, I didn't. I really didn't like the name. I hated the name, but uh, hmm. the the repeat name. Oh. Yeah, it was it was definitely a little hokey, you know, a little like uh, I guess a sign of the new generation at that time. It was a little too sports entertaining. But when you actually got in there, obviously, you know, you damn good wrestler. And I remember specifically that match in your house three versus Bret Hart basically stole the show and just showed how good of a worker you were. Yeah, yeah, Bret uh, Bret really put a lot of efforts to make me look good and. Uh, I thanked him a lot of times, you know, and he was a true professional and, and even though something he was going over, but he would always come up to me after a match and he would always say, you know, I really think I helped to get over tonight. Even if you lost, he said, I, I really think I helped to get over tonight. But, uh, and, and, uh, I, I really never had an argument with Brett except that Royal Rumble 94, I guess uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, where I injured his knee. I didn't injure his knee, but he thought I injured his knee, and and uh, he was mad at me, but his knee was fine. But uh, he just he was more scared than he was hurt. But uh, he had nothing. And uh, a couple of days after, he apologized to me. So I'm sorry for what I said and everything. I just got scared, so I jumped on his injured knee from the steel stairs and uh, with my crutch and. Uh, like I was dropping on his knee and Jacques was holding his leg and uh, it really looked like I was killing his knee, but Jacques let go at the proper time and it was really professional. It was kind of in, 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 in breath after he just was mad at me, just said, I'm not one of those job boy where you can fucking injure me and things like that. And I got pissed to us. You know, we, we, we kind of got into a big argument, but, uh, uh, we settled everything after that, and he agreed to work with me. We did a long program, and <laughs> I learned a lot of things from Brett. And it was great. I mean, I, Brett was great. I mean, it was, it was awesome working against him, especially in Germany. He was so over in Germany that, like, uh, girls, people were crying as he was coming out of the bus. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, I mean, just being in the ring when his music hit and and working against him or Taker sometimes. I would take her a few times too. Uh, like I had my, just before they started me as Jean-Pierre Lafitte, they had me working Taker in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. And that was my big test. And uh, and I had a hell of a match with Taker. And uh, that's when they decided to go along with it. And just before I started my, uh, my run with, with Brett, they had me working with Brett on a pay-per-view in your house. But it was it was not advertised on the card, but it was the last match of the card, but not advertised. So it was just a test there to see if I could carry on with Brett. And uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, I I came up with a hell of a match. So after they, they decided that they they were gonna throw me in with Brett, so I was quite happy about that. I was quite happy about that, but. Uh, I mean, uh, I I wish I could, uh, you know, I wish that thing would, uh, I don't wish anything, actually, life is like that, but, I mean, it, it would have been fun to, to know where I could have brought it in, you know, without the incident in Montreal against uh, Sean and, and uh, Nash. But uh, I just, just, I guess, no regret, but... Uh, 
know, can't go back in time, but uh, that was great. I mean, I had some fun. Brett, Brett was awesome. You know, I, I, I could see how he was, you know, saving himself on small nights and working his ass on uh, Raw or pay-per-views. He was given all the, the whole nine yards and some small shows. He was just taking little roles and bumping that hard, you know. He was just... Uh, he, he knew when to open up, open it up and when to uh, take it easy. And and I think I think he was smart. I think, but I, for me, Brett was one of the smartest guy uh, in the business. I mean, as far as psychology, I rate him and Shawn Michaels as the best too for making stories. Even though he had the same moves over and over. He was always come up, coming up with some great stuff, with great false finishes, and I I just thought he knew how to build up the story and and have the people in the palm on his hands. So uh, I uh, I rate Brett pretty high in my my favorite workers. No doubt, Brett is definitely one of the greatest of all time. But you know, we kind of um, mentioned it briefly, but. You end up, you know, if I could skip ahead just a little bit, but you went to WCW, basically, you know, the late 90s after you left WWF. Now, what was the, the story behind, the, you know, the name? You guys are the amazing French Canadians. Obviously, you're not going to dress like the Quebecers anymore, but what was up with that, like, the name change there? And obviously, you were teaming with Jacques again. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we, 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 we didn't have ideas, really, for a name. We couldn't use the Quebecers because it was trademarked by uh, by Vince. Right. But Jacques, Jacques said we could use it because if you're a New Yorker, you're a New Yorker. If you if you're uh, whatever is the name of your city, you know you're from Quebec, you're a Quebecer. Uh, he thought that we could still use it, but I guess WCW didn't want to go against their lawyers and fight over a name, so. Um, Kevin Sullivan, I guess, came up with the amazing French Canadians, and and we kind of uh, agreed with that. But I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I mean, at, at that point, you know, uh, I think the what hurt, did hurt us the most, I guess, it's the fact that I uh, I was trying to be Carl that into the amazing French Canadians and I was not trying to be a team anymore. I was just trying to be myself in the team instead of being a team like we were a team in the Quebecers. Like, uh, you know, I had, a, like, I wanted, like, maybe to have Jean-Marie kept his hair short and have mine long, but, like, if I had my hair long, he wanted to have his long. And he wanted to keep uh, going as being a tag team, but, like, I was trying to keep the patch, keep the, the hair different, keep something different, and, and be my own self in the team. And, uh, you know, I had reached a point where, you know, to me, going back as a tag team was just another way to make money, but I wasn't happy anymore with that. Because, you know, if I, after the first split, um, it was like if we were, I wasn't counting some problems or having problems, uh, you know, uh, re-getting booked or whatever. Uh, that was the easy way for me to get out of the 
a situation and, and get get back into a situation where I know I could have a decent payoff and a, a job, but it's not really what I wanted, you know. So it was kind of it was kind of a settlement, uh, being semi happy, if you want, if you can read me and what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's not really what I wanted to to really go back there as the amazing French Canadians, but it felt like it was the only way to go back into the main, main big time business quickly. Pause pretty quickly. But uh, at the time that uh, after the Lafitte, then, uh, when we started uh, back, uh, uh, I had like eight months on my contract with WWF, so I had to wait before I could start back. So that's why it, it took a time before we started with WCW. It took some time. So my contract was not finished, and, and Vince didn't want to terminate it, so I had to let it run. That's why it took some time. Right. And, you know, as you jumped into WCW there, it was kind of weird. They didn't really do anything with you guys. I mean, they put Colonel Rob Parker with you, and they kind of did that whole game of tag team division at the point because you had the Steiners down there. You had Harlem Heat, who you did end up feuding with. You had the Outsiders. You had Sting, like Sting and Luger kind of at one point were a team. Uh, Road Warriors were there back and forth a little bit. I mean, it seemed like they were focusing on tag team division, but how come they didn't really do anything with you guys? Uh, as soon as we came in, we were supposed to have a big win on Nitro the first night that we showed up. That was against the Nasty Boys. So when the Nasty Boys, you look at the list, okay, Nasty Boys, amazing French Canadians, amazing fans, okay, Kevin Sullivan gave the finish, okay, you, you guys are going over, so the Nasty Boys are going to Hogan's room, and blah, 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 15 minutes after, they change the finish. Huh. So, so, uh, I guess everybody was running their own show there. Like, oh, Hogan was running with the Nasties, and and Nash, and Nash had to say on other things. And as soon as Nash saw me there, I mean, so our push was pretty killed. So, uh, and like I said, you know, the Nasty Boys. Uh, I mean, that was like everybody was like a booker there. I mean, it was not really organized as good as Vince was. Even though I thought that Vince had lost grip when the when the I have tremendous respect for Vince McMahon. I think he's a great businessman and everything, but I think when he gave all of the power to all the main guys that they were friends together, uh, he lost grip on his business there for a while. When the click was running the teams, I mean, in a in a way, like uh, they had a lot of pool. I mean, you could tell like uh, they they all had a cell phone number. And right after the show, they were on the phone. Like if something would happen with me, they would call him right after on his cell. So now, I mean, Vince is surrounded by bodyguards, and the boys can't even approach him. Like he's. I think he just suspended someone for for laughing with him or pulling his arm like two months two months ago or something like that. Oh like yeah, yeah. Okay. Boys, yep. They wanted to be friends with Vince. And they kind of <laughs> fired him. <or> something. <laughs> I mean, before uh, before we used to be able to to wait in line and have a meeting with Vince. And even me as as a feet, so like 
I did so good with Jock, you know, in the retirement match. And then when I started the Lafitte thing, uh, uh, so close with Vince. I mean, um, one night I had a match at the Gardens in New York, and Vince, that's his backyard. He always goes to the Gardens match, even if it's a house show. And I uh, was working with Don the Clown, and he tried a small package on me and kind of piled over me. And um, anyway, they carried on into the match and beat him and everything. Came out of the curtain, Vince pulled me on the side, Said that motherfucker almost broke his broke her neck. Blah blah blah. He was really on my side. No, I said no, Vince. Everything's okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. And, you know, he was really close to me. You know, like uh, he would say, like anytime man, you want to meet me, you, you knock on my door. You, we can have a word. We can talk together. Uh, I was I really I had a good relationship. I was close to Vince at one point. And, like you know, like when. Uh, Jacques called Vince from Puerto Rico. Uh, he was real close. I didn't get that close, but uh, it was very, very good. I mean, some I had some good meetings at the uh, Titan Tower with Vince. I had some good meetings in different arenas with him. Uh, called me home. Uh, sent me bird, uh, birthday cards and things like that. So it was uh, it was tough to kind of ruin a good relationship like that with the uh, Nash affair and the Nash things, but uh, um, I mean, that's life. And, you know, I can go back, can talk about it. Obviously, I would do things differently. I would be more of a politician <laughs> and I would I would know how to drop down and wait and let the rage, uh, the, the, the storm go, go by, go by and, and, and pop up and and, and try to roll with the, the hits, you know. And, but, uh, but I will be able to help some some other guys. You know, that, that's that's the principle of life, I guess. You can always give your knowledge to, to someone else. And I don't think it's good to to you have to stood up for yourself. You know, I would never say you you have to let someone cut off your your luggage or your ring gear. Or, you know, things like that, or rib you, it's good that you stand up for yourself, and I think you get respect for that. But uh, sometime over a finish or over a match, sometime uh, I'm thinking nobody remembers that day and that time. I mean, we do remember because that's what we talk about, but if you ask the people in Montreal what happened that year, that day, and who lost and who won, they won't remember. You know, after two weeks, they don't even remember. So, so sometimes we uh, we uh, we think too much of a of a thing, and we make it a big thing for nothing. And uh, I think that's uh, we that's how we get caught up into our character in in the wrestling business. Sometimes we we start to believe in. Uh, in our own gimmicks, you know, in our own character and uh, our own pushes, and uh, we 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 live we live uh, the life of a wrestler like uh, if we were not a human being, but we're we're always a, a wrestler. But under uh, the fact that we're wrestlers, we're human beings, and sometimes we kind of that's what I said. Uh, that's what I meant when I said that. Uh, you kind of lose uh, track of uh, of life, you know, of, of the reality of life when you get famous and you get the money and you get, you know, almost everything. And 
that transcend into the decision that you may take also as far as, uh, you know, not wanting to job or not wanting to lose or things like that. So it, uh, it affects on different points and different aspects of your your judgment. You know, you mentioned earlier how you gave advice to uh, Kevin Owens. You kind of gave him some advice. Did you kind of think, because you kind of reminded yourself of him in a way, you guys you kind of look alike, you know what I mean, same body type, uh, you know, around six foot tall, but, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit huskier, but supreme athlete. You can come off the top rope. You can do all these amazing moves. Did you kind of give him that advice because you almost was thinking that Kevin Owens was, you know, maybe you in, in a younger form in some sort of way? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the physique and all that, I, at that time, I mean, he didn't have much because he was pretty skinny, but uh, uh, just the fact that uh, he was not coming from a, a second-generation or a third-generation family, he was just someone who wanted to become a wrestler, uh on this point, I could uh, relate to him and say, listen, you know, uh, yeah, and give him that advice because uh, I really thought that he could, uh, I really thought that he could make it and uh, I really wish that he was going to make it and uh, I really wish, not because I wanted to prove Jacques wrong because I have nothing to prove, but I want him to prove that, I mean, you have your own destiny in your own hands, you know, in a way. You, you always, uh, of course, you're always uh, dependent of your, the contacts that you're going to make, but, I mean, if he was not going to be in contact with Jog, obviously he was going to be in contact with ROH or he was going to be in contact with another federation or another promotion or with another important guy. Because he was he was so young, he was like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. So that's why I could relate to him and and give him this advice because he, I could tell that he was not happy with the way that uh, things were going because Jacques was asking for for uh, you know the uh, no can you say that like. Uh, you cannot go to another place. You you have to stay with him. How, how can you say that? Like uh, the uh, uh, anyways, like uh, like the like same thing when you sign with Vince. You know you can't go nowhere else. You know you you're with him. You're so like, so. Jacques wanted to have like contracts where if he was running six shows a year, but he could only work six shows a year, and and and. Uh, the, the way that Jacques uh, works his matches, he, he pretty much uh, goes along the whole match uh, with his student before the show starts. So Kevin knew that if he wanted to learn something, you know, he had to work almost every night and be an indie wrestler and, and try to do as much, as many shows as he could make. And uh, that made sense. And he wanted to wrestle more because he loves wrestling. So, uh, that's why I gave him that advice. Not that I wanted to go against Jacques because I really like Jacques. You know, like uh, I have nothing against him. You know, like uh, I really liked him and had some good time with him too. But uh, just to say that uh, no one has the uh, can brag and say uh, 
I'm the god of wrestling, or I'm the one who's going to bring you there, and I'm the guy, I'm the one who's going to do this for you, or if I'm not there, you're not going to make it. So uh, I just wanted to give him that advice. And uh, I was happy that, that he made it. Uh, and uh, I was almost scared that uh, Sami Zayn was not going to make it because there's been some tremendous talent in WWE. Uh, I never made it and uh, just one of the two made it sometimes but uh, it seems like they both are making it now and it's it's, it's awesome, it's great and it's not always about the pop and it's not always about the reaction, it's not always about the fact that you can work or you cannot work uh, like I said a lot of it is politics and uh, timings and Things like that, so it's great. I mean, it's, it's just great. Really Absolutely. Happy. Now, if I could just jump back into you real quick, you know, because you were talking about WCW and you ended up leaving WCW, but you actually went back to the WWF. You kind of reformed the Quebecers for a little bit. I mean, you you fought like great teams like the LOD and then uh, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. But then you entered the weird brawl for all and then ended up losing, obviously, to Dr. Dusty Williams. But did you like going back to the WWF in 98? Uh, yeah, I was happy. Uh, uh, after a year, uh, we signed for a four-year deal in job with the WWF. And it was a window of three months on every year where you could get released from uh, January to, let's say, March, or from the 1st of December to the 1st of February. It was always a window. They never give you, like, a four-year solid, you know, four years, but there's always a window somewhere out there, you know, where they can change their mind. So, anyway, the money was dealt for four years, and it was an upgrade in every year. Uh, and uh, after the first year, we did so-so, and uh, I guess Vince uh, had uh, some plans for me. They released Jock after the first year, and they kept me. Uh, that kind of made me like really. I was like thinking, fuck, they're gonna do something with me finally. You know, they're gonna do something again. You know, like a the feet is finished or whatever. But they probably have an idea for me if they kept me for another year and they let go Jacques. Uh, the brawl for all was before that. It was before they let go Jacques because they asked Jacques to do the brawl for all. They refused to do it. I thought uh, they wanted to. For me, I thought I had to do the brawl for all because uh, by, you know, putting up to Kevin Nash and some of the boys and things like that. I just thought I would uh, make a statement saying that uh, I won't back down from nobody in any case. So that's why I accepted the Brawl for All because Steve Williams was uh, designed to win the whole thing. He had the reputation of being an NCAA four times All-American, street fighter, almost killing people in Japan and being a machine and this and that. And he had a hell of a reputation. 
he had such a reputation that before my match against uh, against uh, I'm going to tell you the whole thing. It's, it's five thousand that we were receiving for the match. It was takedowns and punches only, and it was uh, I think it was a hundred thousand to the winner, fifty thousand to the semi-finalist, and twenty-five thousand. So, um, Hawk of the Road Warriors came up to me just before the match. But me, I had a, before that, the match was supposed to be the week prior to this one. The other rub before, I brought a coach from Montreal. I paid for his air tickets. I paid for everything. I paid for his room. I paid everything. I got nervous all day long. I got ready for Steve Williams. At the beginning of the show, they told me it's not going to be this week. We postponed it. It's going to be next Monday. So they really fucked my head up there. I was really... Nah, I can say depressed because you had so much adrenaline going through the whole day, talking with your coach that you brought, especially to have... Because I didn't want to have the generic coach in my corner. I wanted to have the real coach and tell me the real things and what was wrong, what was right. Uh, I took it seriously because we only had like a week notice that we were going to fight for real. So we were not trained for that. And we didn't have time to box. We didn't have time to get in shape for that. You know, it's, it's, it was another game. And uh, I knew that uh, Steve Williams had a hell of a reputation. But I was never scared of anybody in my life. And uh, I always had to do what I had to do. So... Um, They postponed that match. It goes to the next one. I decided not to bring that coach back because it was costing me too much money to pay him and to pay for his ticket in his room. And I didn't know if they were going to fuck with the, like, with the schedule again and, and change it or whatever. So I chose to show up by myself. And I had to do the match with the generic coach and uh, but the, the same two coaches that were going in both corners for the, the whole night or the whole tournament. So uh, Hawk came up to me and said, Carl, 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 come. He said, you know, as soon as Steve's going to hit you with that one punch, you know, just lay down there, take the five grand. Don't worry, you're not going to get injured. And it got me so pissed off. I responded to Hawk. I said, listen, Mike, you got to go back to Steve. You got to tell him I'm not going to fucking lay down for him. And I'm going to earn my five grand and maybe more. And he's, he's in for a hell of a fight. He's, he's in for the fight of his life. So he went back, gave him the message. So see, William was kind of a, a bully, you know, and every day, you know, he would always take on someone in a dressing room and bully him, you know, push him and beat him like uh, whatever, like not good. So he's banging his head in the, He's banging his head in the in the in the lockers, bang, bang, by making noise and like like acting like he doesn't feel the pain and things like that. So I go there, I do my thing. You know, obviously, uh, cardio was a big my, my cardio was a big problem there, but he was also blowing up. But I mean, I I I think you know I did fairly good. Because I didn't get knocked out or, you know, I got uh, some points to uh, brought him down and things like that. 
could have done better, but I actually believe that I could have won this thing, so that's why I entered it. So if not, I wouldn't have uh, entered it. But uh, anyways, uh, it didn't go my way, uh, but I was proud that uh, I didn't lay down like uh, for for you know just for the fun of it, just just to get tagged and just lay down, and that I gave him a real fight. And uh, that he didn't appreciate that at all. Steve didn't appreciate that at all. And after that, he had this match against Bart Gunn, which I thought he would have won if he didn't tore his arm string. I mean, he was winning on the points. It was 10 seconds left at the match. He was winning by far, I think. And uh, he tore his uh, back of his leg because he was blowing up too. He was missing air. And Bart just... Slugged it, you know, with a left, and then Bard went on to win the whole thing. But uh, no, it was just a chance. I thought to myself, you know, I said, that if I win this whole thing, if I can win the, the whole tournament, you know, that's going to give me a push. And uh, that didn't happen, but I tried. And Jacques was telling me not to go there. And if I was going to end up on my ass, I was going to lose face all over Montreal. Was not going to be good for my career, and it's going to make me look bad, and this and that. But you know, you cannot sometimes have uh, the glory if you don't take the chance. I mean, getting on your ass goes with maybe getting under, getting the win. You know, it's. I mean, you can't have, you can't play safe everywhere and trying to expect to win. You know, at one point or another, you have to take chances. So that's the way I looked at it. And I went on, I took some chances and didn't pay it off. But another time it will. And on a different yeah. uh, occasion, on a different uh, way of life or another situation in life. I mean, the same thing everywhere in life. You know, at one point, if you play safe everywhere, you're not going to get anything. You know, you got to take chances. So that's the, that's why I did the Brawl for All. But in, in Vince's mind, he said, okay, this I guess, you know, the, the BWF uh, head office they probably said this the guy that put so much shit all over the place, you know, we're going to give him a, we, we, we're going to make him pay for it, you know, we're going to give him a, a after death. And, uh, huh. and, uh, and uh, I stood up, you know, and I got a lot of these for that. Yeah, the, uh, Bruce Fitcher told me we respect you a lot with the fact that you accept to do it and then he went on and fight him and didn't say no and uh, so I guess at the end of the year and, uh, they released Jacques, they kept me I guess I was a little bit uh, probably re- rewarded for that because uh, out of the 16 guys that entered this brawl for all, I'd say Savio Vega got injured, uh, Mark Merrill got injured, uh, another one had a concussion, uh, Steve Williams tore his arms, both arm strings, uh, uh, everybody got injured, you know, so, uh, so I thought I did fairly well, and I got out of there without any injury, and so after that, but it was uh, the next year that came in, I was sent to uh, to Memphis, so but I was supposed to start a something. They, they had called me. The uh, Bruce Richard called me on the yes was a Wednesday. He said next Monday you're starting, and we want you with the 
blue trunk with the fleur de lis on and the cape, like uh, same thing as the British Bulldog had, but in Quebec, like the blue and the, the white. But the Friday came in, I didn't receive my tickets for Raw. I called the next week and they saw we we'll change our mind. We're going to send you to Memphis uh, Power Pro Wrestling, which was a farm team back then. So uh, where Kurt Angle was and some other guys, I too, and a bunch of guys were there. It was like kind of the NXT at that time was in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And they were going to repackage you as uh, basically Chris Cannonball, is that correct? Well, that was my idea. That's that's how I repackaged myself uh, in Memphis. But, you know, that didn't mean anything because over there, you know, you could probably do whatever you want because they, they were coming up with the gimmicks there. Like, uh, I think they brought up uh, San Stasiak. They brought up... Uh, uh, they brought him up with another gimmick that they didn't portrayed there and uh um Kurt Angle like he wasn't doing the metal things in Memphis. I mean we're just trying things. Uh but uh, if they had an idea I guess they would have put it together. But I was the kind of guy who would like uh um two thousand eight I guess I put a storyline for me and Sean. And I ended ended to Sean in Birmingham, England. And he he really looked at it. He really liked it. He brought it over to Vince. Uh, Vince was there, but uh, he brought it back into the States and to the head office. And he really looked at it because they gave me a match against uh, Charlie Haas and uh, the Mohegan Sun Arena. And... And they had me really seriously. They brought me to the office. I, I sat down with John Arnitis. He said, you choose any date that you want in the month of July, any Monday. And you'll have your match. And uh, it'll be uh, be your time to impress us. And uh, I guess, you know, it's always easy, easy to blame someone. But uh, I don't want to blame anything. But uh, I don't think Charlie Oss uh, didn't want to help me out that much and also I was working against the tide because uh, I wanted to do a, a gimmick where I was doing some MMA stuff and Muay Thai stuff uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Vince really didn't like it so I guess it was was dead just before I entered the ring but uh, the fact that they liked the gimmick though uh, was a million dollar match against me and Sean. It was called. The ending was going to be at the WrestleMania. It was a six months long program. And uh, it was cool the way we set it up. Uh, my name was KO for Carl Wallet. I would knock out uh, everybody with uh, the Stan Anson clothesline. And the KO, like Kevin Owens, that would have meant uh, knockout and also Carl Wallet with a K and uh, had them popping me on TV as a jobber and I would uh, be the name uh, right out of the bat with a knockout so unexpected and then work my way and I was going to be the knockout versus the Swinchin uh, music kick you know for uh, for the million dollar match basically the lines were that 
there were lines, but there were some names involved during that feud and things like that. So when I did that match against Charlie Haas, there, uh, the table was totally full there. Sean was watching the match. Vince was watching the match. Pat Parsons was watching the match. John Arnold was watching the match. Everybody was watching the match. And uh, the match totally stunk with uh, Charlie Haas. You know, I didn't pop out of the video. Maybe two, two, uh, two spots came out good. Uh, Charlie acted like he was lost about after two, three minutes. The, the riff was start, starting to call shit, and that's never a good sign. I mean, when the refs start to say, do this, do that, it's because they're kind of shitting on your match. So uh, that turned out to be kind of a nightmare there. And that was probably my... Uh, and in uh, 2008, I had uh, two matches in England and one match in Wiggins. Uh, one against uh, Tommy Dreamer, that went well. Uh, the other one, I, no, the other one, I met Sean in England. I gave him the the scenario. He liked it. Gave it to Vince. Called me back. Met John Laurinaitis at the office. Chose a date. It was uh, the 21st of July, uh, 2008, and uh, that uh, didn't work out well. The first match of the night. I also had some opportunity that I missed. Uh, one in Montreal supposed to work. Eric Mastercola first match supposed to beat him with my knockout clothesline, but Jacques refused to put his students against me because he wanted to put a he wanted the students to win, but he wanted a 12 minute match and they wanted a five minute match, so uh, they refused and uh, Jacques pulled this guy out. So that was another opportunity missed there, uh, but that. Missed or that didn't go on. So, and uh, 2003, I had a hell of a match in Montreal against a guy from Toronto. Uh, totally tore, 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 tore the house down. The well-led chant all over the, the arena. I was sure I was having a job. Uh, Lauren Ines called me two weeks after, and he said, uh, he said, uh, Stephanie doesn't have anything yet. Stephanie and the creative, they don't have anything for you yet. So, I really tried hard to come back. I really, really tried hard. Now, I had a match also against Justin Credible for the title in ECW, a uh, short run in TNA. So, uh, but uh, uh, that was a, that was great. The uh, the idea that came up with me and Sean just uh, that was awesome. I wish it could have worked. I knew we could uh, make it work, but uh, it was it was great. It was a good idea. But I gave a. So much idea to them that they use with other guys uh, that didn't use with me. Uh, I was good with coming up with scenarios, with, with storylines. So I gave them quite a few storylines that they use. Like uh, the Barnett, the IC champ, with the, the knockout, with the, the rubber thing on his arm. That, that, that was a, one of my ideas that I was, wanted to use for myself. And there's a bunch of others. Uh, I remember when they pulled uh, Undertaker on the cross, too. That was uh, I was supposed to do a gimmick then. Uh, that was after three training camps when they released Shock and they kept me. I, do a, I did a few training camps at the, uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. And the gimmick was going to be uh, Nate Az, which is Satan. Uh, written backwards 
uh, Natal 666, and they were supposed to put me with, uh, like, some sort of a team with uh, Undertaker. But I don't know what made them change their mind at the last minute, but uh, they did it with the the Hugs brother. Do you remember at one point uh, Undertaker had, like, a clan there with five guys? Yeah, I was supposed to be in ministry. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to be in there. The the whole thing with the cross, the 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 people, the people thought that was uh, too much there. That was like I came up with that during an interview, and uh, basically uh, that was that was supposed to be the the loser of the match was supposed to pull up on on the cross because being Nate has six 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 and things like that. yeah, I I came up with a lot of a lot of things for them, <laughs> with me for them, and different different things. No doubt, great mind for the business, great worker, of course, too. But as we wind it down, you know, you talked about having all these great matches, obviously versus Brett. You even just talked about ECW. You had the world title match against Just Incredible. You know, you even wrestled a Rhino uh, in ECW. I mean, you just talked about TNA. We had an underrated run as, you know, basically Mr. X when you were there. Um, you know, we talked about you winning the WWE Hardcore title, albeit for a short time. But do you have a favorite match or maybe even a couple favorite matches you've had in your career? Um, my first match in the Montreal Forum against the Steiner Brothers, uh, that was uh, that was something. I mean, the first time that uh, you work the arena. That uh, since you're a boy, you know, you go see the Montreal Canadiens or the wrestling, you know, other uh, wrestlers like Hogan or you know Bravo or whomever, you know, like uh, even the Rougeaus. I mean, uh, I used to go watch them as as a, as a kid, and, and and coming back with Jock as a tag partner. And, working in front of the hometown crowd for the first time ever. That was something uh, that would always uh, stay in my mind. Um, Brett, uh, some of the matches, my match against uh, Undertaker, uh, my match against Shawn Michaels in Montreal was fantastic, even though, like, at the beginning, I didn't want to lose against him, and I changed my mind, and Shawn really work hard, you know, we really put on a great match. That's why I thought I could have a hell of a run with him because we just did that one match in, uh, in Montreal. It was insane how good it came out. Like, insane. So, I mean, Sean's such a mind. I mean, sometimes you can not like someone for what he is, but you cannot uh, say anything on his mind for the business. I mean, Sean, uh, I rate him very highly. As a as a as a mind for the business, I mean, he's unbelievable, and he was gifted too, and uh, uh, it was great. Uh, um, as other matches, uh, the one with Justin Credible was was good because I got there in Philly as Carwellette with the new outfit and. I didn't. I didn't think I was gonna be that over as a baby face, and I got huge, 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 huge pop. And that crowd can be pretty hostile sometimes. I, mean, I think they were one time with uh, with 
Sean's next uh, partner, uh, Marty Jennedy, like chanting, you're not Sean, you're not Sean. And they were <laughs> brutal sometimes, you know. And <laughs> I didn't know what to expect there at the ECW arena. And, um, I mean, that was crazy. I put Francine through a table. I mean, she didn't want to do it. She didn't, she didn't think I could do it without hurting her. And I had to convince her for 30 minutes. Me and Tommy Dreamer, we had to convince her. And just incredible, too. And, And she she came out of there with nothing, not even a scratch, because I knew how to do it. I put my knees before she hit the table. I broke the, the table with my knees, but you can't tell, you know. It was, like, done perfectly. And uh, the, that made the match. That was crazy. I mean, that was totally insane. Uh, and if it wasn't for uh, for Polly to have uh, maybe financial problems, But he was always cool with me. Like he had, he had gone out like uh, four or five matches without paying me, and uh, eventually I got a check, you know, and he squared me even. He paid me. I mean, not too many people can say that from Paulie, but me he doesn't owe me anything. He paid me what he had to pay me, even if it was, you know, uh, uh, deleted. Del- 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 but uh, it was. Uh, Uh, I wish I could have, uh, you know, I could have been there in a, a better time with the ECW when it was rolling real hard, but uh, it was at the end where just before they closed down. So, and uh, the, the the TNA in Nashville was not really uh, moving yet. You know, they didn't have much funds, and uh, I was costing a lot of money to fly in from Montreal every week, every Wednesday. They had to fly me. Montreal to Nashville, and I guess I was costing them a lot of money for for the use they were doing. So, uh, so that's that's the thing with the with the TNA. But uh, then I did uh, I did five years. I think the voice I did the voiceovers for them uh, in French for TNA, which was a good run. Yeah. A decent money too. So yeah, you've uh, had. You, no, I was gonna say you've had such a you know such an amazing story and such a great career, and it seems like, you know, not in the longest amount of time too, because you've you've done so much, you know, and it's really uh, it's such a great story from start to finish. But, you know, as we end it here, I just want to see you know what your take is on this, and you know, we obviously we've covered Kevin Owens, we've covered Sami Zayn, and what your influence was on them, but. What would you say your legacy would be leaving the wrestling business behind, you know, when it's all said and done? You know, what your stamp would be left on the business uh, when you call it quits? Uh, I think uh, think it would probably, I don't know, I might be, I don't know the future, but uh, I think the Quebecers should be, uh, should be going to the Hall of Fame as, as one of the, The tag team that really marked the uh, WWF for for the innovation of of the moves at the time. I mean, the Steiners they, they kind of start like Rick had his move and Scott had his move, but we, me and John, we were like the new. Uh, we were like the Yardy Boys ahead of their time, you know. Like we, we were doing things together, like uh, the backdrop on top of that guy, the hand to hand, of a tower. Uh, you know, I would 
hook up the guy on my shoulders. He would drop the crotch from the top rope. Uh, uh, he would, uh, let's say, uh, boss and crab the guy. I would come up the top rope with a like drop on the back of the neck. Which they're crazy moves that uh, you wouldn't see at that time. Plus, I was probably the innovator of uh, the guy who was get thrown into the stairs, still stairs, still steps, you know. Like, uh, I've never seen it before. I've seen the guy hit the steps and sell it, but I was the first one who really broke it in half and, and pushed it away. And I, I remember the first time I did it, like, I uh, kind of hurt my shoulders a little bit. And I, I used it a lot with Brett during our matches. And, and after that, you know, you, you were using it more and more and more. And they, they But uh, we were like... Uh, we were the innovators of, of uh, tag team moves. I mean, of course, you had the, the rock and roll. Experience. You know, the older teams were they were doing things differently. Like maybe some someone was doing the, the drop to old, the other one was dropping an elbow, but it was generic moves. But we came up with tag team moves that was the devastating the, the move. Uh, they were insane moves. They were crushing moves. They, out of the maybe seven, eight moves that we had, they could all be a finishes almost, you know, like uh, they were so strong and they looked so good. And that's how we, we got over. I mean, every time we were doing something, I could remember like watching the replays of a match, about one of our matches was like, wow, 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 bang, 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 ding, 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 ding. So I... As a tag team, being three times tag team champions of WWF, being rated the uh, number one tag team for you know an amount, such amount of years, a year or two, whatever. Uh, I think that there's a legacy there in the tag team division as, as the Quebecers. As far as myself alone, uh, uh, you, you don't really. It's hard uh, to explain, but like I don't know where you're located in the states, but. Uh, of course, my my other big run here is uh, where I got the other generations and things like that. Got the it was with the name PCO Pierre Carl and uh, and um, I, I still got uh, like the 20 years old now hooked on this on this gimmick because uh, uh, I, I guess it's, I I got a way to keep it fresh and I I don't. It's not just from wrestling, you know. I do other things there. I, I did TVs. I did some uh, uh, other. Uh, I trained like one TV show I did. I was training a, a 16 years old kid uh, to become a pro wrestler, starting from scratch. Uh, and it was all about the character PCO. So um, PCO style, PCO or PCO Carlos. So I guess. Uh, There'll be a different legacy left in the province of Quebec than it will be uh, around the uh, the wrestling world, uh, the WWF or the WWE. And also, I left uh, I left my mark also a lot in in Europe, where Jacques didn't. I mean, I worked Germany for uh, two full years. Uh, I went back there for another two after the big run, and uh, I did almost four years in England. 
England, I can almost call England my second family, my second home, my second hometown. Uh, I mean, uh, I had a condo there. Uh, I brought my girlfriend there. She fell pregnant there. She, uh, um, I know all the, the gyms there. I travel all the roads uh, seven days a week. Uh, I traveled so many times from Montreal to, to the UK. It's, it's, it's crazy. And uh, I also left a little bit of my legacy in Puerto Rico. Uh, I had two good runs there and uh, and uh, two two good long runs there. And, uh, and I think uh, uh, this is not going to be forgotten. I mean, uh, I had uh, one great run in 2005 against... Uh, uh, what's his name again? Uh, his name, I, I just lost his name, but uh, one of the main guy who came into the uh, TNA after, and uh, just uh, it was for Savio Vega, and uh, I got so many tapes there. But uh, anyways, I, that's that's the thing about me. I mean, I've, I've met so many people, and I've met so many. Uh, I got so many friends uh, around, you know, like England, Germany, Puerto Rico, and it's not just about the WWF. My run with Jock, like I said, I think this will go as as being the innovators of the wrestling move in the tag team division, and I think we I don't know how they're going to do the the Hall of Fame. They're going to do the Rougeaus by themselves, or they're going to do Jacques and Ray, and they're going to do the Quebecers. I really don't know how they're going to work this out. But no matter what, I think we should should be there as the Quebecers. That's that's only my my thoughts, though. And really, I wouldn't really care if I'm not there. But uh, because, uh, you know, I... I did what I, I've done what I, my best, and you know I, I have no control over that. But uh, uh, that's that's what I think. I mean, my legacy. I just uh, I think like in the WWF, maybe it's gonna come out different because of the argument that I had with some big names. But on the in England and Germany. I got along good with everybody. I got along good with all the promoters. Uh, uh, I got so many good friends, and uh, uh, I kind of lost track with uh, Sid Vicious, which he was my best friend in the business. Even though when I was uh, tag teaming with Jock, I was always hanging up with uh, with Sid. We we love to train together. We love to travel together. We love to party together. We had some great times. Uh, he was a hell of a guy, too. He's like me. Uh, he's a guy uh, with a, a big heart, you know. And uh, um, that's, that's the thing, you know. On, on top of the wrestling character, if you look at the human beings, uh, I guess uh, probably all of us. You know, we all uh, we all are some good guys. Uh, I consider myself uh, a good person, and uh, if I did uh, hurt uh, 
or harm anybody in any way, shape, or or form. Uh, I I guess it was just uh, about the ego. <laughs> it was not. Uh, I mean, you get caught up into uh, so many things when you're up there, man. It's just crazy. But uh, deep yeah. down inside, I mean, after you know, it's, it's when you take a step back. Like now, sitting at home and watching the show from a different perspective, and not being uh, involved, uh, you look at it like wow, we were crazy. I mean, we we took it so seriously. I mean, we I don't I don't know you. you becomes like an addiction, I don't know, to, to, to get over, to get this, to get airtime, to get the, to get some, some lights, to get this, but I guess it's not going to fade away from our per- personality. We, we love it because we wouldn't do that sport or we wouldn't be an entertainers. I guess it's always going to be there, and if I was going to be re-involved, as a wrestler, I uh, would probably fight for the same things that I was fighting for, but it's just fun to step aside and look at it as a different eye, you know. But I don't think I did really understand. <laughs> I did really uh, respond to your question, but uh, it's just... Uh, oh, no, you nailed it. Trust me. I mean, the legacy, you know what? The legacy has been the time we spent, because this has been, literally, it's been mind-boggling. The knowledge that you've shared and everything, it's uh, sitting under the learning tree, has been quite enjoyable, and I'm sure that all the listeners that listen to this will eat up every second of it and take that to heart, because uh, what a journey you've had. But speaking of that, please share with the listeners and the uh, the fans of the two-man power trip of wrestling just exactly where they can find you if they want to uh, reach out and connect. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, uh my Facebook, I just opened up my page. I guess that's how you found me. I don't know how, but I just opened up my my Facebook page uh, last Wednesday. I was a little bit off of that and I'm starting a TV show in French. So um, I'm going to have some, like, uh, every month, I'm going to have, like, a, like a minute and a half uh, piece of the show is going to be put on my Facebook, which is PCO Style. Uh, you can add me. And then in the comments, you put the name of the person that you would like to bring with you. Uh, if you, because I'm drawing a, a trip to Allendale Beach in Florida, so um, so if you like the page, put the name of someone in the comments that you would bring with you to the trip, and share it into your page, and then you're uh, you're you become uh, eligible for for the draw for the, that trip in Florida. So. Well, I guess that's uh, the best place where you can find me. There, you can uh, you can uh, leave a message. You can ask me questions. You uh, whatever you know. That's the best place to reach me, and uh, uh, it's gonna grow uh, faster because uh, I got a whole team uh, working on the page with me, and we're we're gonna put some stuff there, some crazy stuff. Uh, I'm going to still uh, be doing some shows and wrestling, too. I'm wrestling on the 21st of May uh, in two weeks. And uh, I'll probably do, like, four, three to five shows a year uh, just to get some press, to get some publicity. And uh, I got a huge thing coming up. And uh, I hope uh, when I'm ready to start it, guys, you'll be there with me to help me uh, – 
start the wave because uh, I want to start a, I want to start a big wave uh, and it's pretty easy. It's just a, it's just a catchphrase that I would like people to say and um, it will start pretty soon and uh, I'll probably need your help and uh, it'll be for a good cause. Oh, so, uh, excellent. We, uh, we're definitely, we're on board to help you and this is where I'm going to end our portion of the, uh, the interview. So we just uh, chat here, but Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.